Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. Today we are continuing our Christmas hymn series talking about Silent Night. Michael and I sit down with Rochelle to discuss our Spotify wrapped and our year in music. And then we talk about Silent Night, our history with the song, a little bit of history behind the song. And then we listen to a great version of the song and then a not so great version of the song. We discuss its place in our church, if it's maybe due for an update or an upgrade. And then we have a discussion about the theology behind Christmas songs. Do they need to be ornate? Do they need to have a million different verse references or is one passage, one idea from a passage enough? It's a really fun conversation. Always enjoy talking to Rochelle, always enjoy talking to Michael. So we really hope that you like this episode. We will see you next week and every single week after that. Welcome, festive Christmas episode. Michael's wearing green, Rochelle and I are wearing red. That's how you know we are talking about a Christmas song. But today is exciting because it's one of my favorite days of the year, and it's the day that everybody's Spotify wrapped comes out. And I pitched to these two, I said, we should start talking about our wrapped on the episode. And Michael said, no, it's embarrassing. And Rochelle said, no, it's not Christian enough, I think is kind of the subtext (laughs) of what she was trying to say. I should have more worship songs on there. I have a total of zero. I actually think I have one worship song in my top 100 because of just like playing my Spotify at youth group, but I've not had worship music in my top 100 in, in years, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. But I'm interested, Michael, as the, uh, the musical one by trade here, talk to me about your Spotify wrapped. And for you, you have a unique situation because you have children, and they probably monopolize your Spotify. But I'm interested, Michael, would you mind telling the people what your top songs and or artists were of the year? Ugh. <laughs> yeah okay. you can also lie and try to sound cool nah i'll just tell you the brutal honest spotify truth <laughs> okay let's hear it all right so um i believe my spotify wrapped just reveals to everyone that i am a worship pastor with a five and seven year old girl <laughs> that's pretty funny so that's pretty good that's what you're gonna see um so Out my top it. artists are can you guess taylor swift Taylor Swift. No question. Uh, and guess who my number two famous, most famous, most listened to artist is? I, my guess is going to be like the Frozen soundtrack, like Adina Menzel. No, I mean, though that does get airtime in my home, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will yourself. be Phil Wickham. Oh, <laughs> that's <laughs> And good. then my number three is probably who I would actually choose. Switchfoot. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Okay. Oh, um, that's not bad. And then my number four is like, I, I, I'm surprised because my children listen to this, but um, it's kind of embarrassing. It's Ariana Grande. <laughs> That's not embarrassing. There's like two songs that I just love from her. That what are what are the songs? Um, no tears left to cry so is good. my number one favorite. Ari song. Uh, the other one is I can't remember, but it's it gets played. Yeah, it's so dance, you're not it's that, dance party time. You're not that big of a fan. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but she's big <laughs> enough to be in your top five, yeah, which is cool. And then my number five is passion. Okay, your top five is giving Biola student. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not as embarrassing as you made it well, out to be. Here's no. Here's the most embarrassing part: is my top songs. Okay, let's hear so, those. So, number one through four isn't that embarrassing. Uh, I believe by Phil Wickham. This is our God by Phil Wickham. Uh, the Jesus Way by Phil Wickham. Sunday is coming by Phil Wickham. So that's four. Yep. Uh, and then my number five is Awake by The Awake Project. Yes. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that is Michael's song and Michael's band. Now, 
I don't listen to this myself, but my wink, wink. children, my children they listen to always songs. put this on when we're in the car, when we're anywhere. And it's always kind of like, well, they're supporting it. I'm not going to like complain. I don't know who needs to hear this, Michael, but you could incognito on Spotify if you want. If you don't want people to know you listen to your own song that much, you can throw incognito. <laughs> and so when you come on, you don't have to blame your children. <laughs> you can just say, so I don't know funny. why this is, you know. So, yeah. well, I appreciate your honesty so and your, you your vulnerability. Rochelle, kicking it over to you. Okay. Tell me about it. So this is what I'm going to tell you. First off, I think that Spotify wrapped is wrong we were just talking about this off air i completely agree i i don't think we could agree on something more do not agree with it i like look at it and i'm like "Mm, i feel like that's not real that's not true um i will say my top listen to song is hope is a heartache by leon i don't even know how to say the band wow Real fan. I don't know. I've never heard that song before in my life. It's a great song. I'm, but I sounds only like you love it. Here's the thing. <laughs> I only listened to it twelve times. Oh my gosh. So that's very so, few. So my top song was only listened to twelve times the whole year, which means I had like a two week period yeah. where I just listened to it a lot because I really liked it. Yeah. For those two weeks. And then I never listened to it again. I mean, there you go. So <laughs> hope is a heart heartache is a hope. What is it called? Hope is a heartache. Hope is a heartache. It's so a good, like it's a, it's a, I don't know. Fine. Sounds like a, a sounds like a it's, song. I like, I like sad love songs. Well, that sure. sounds like it. I mean, it literally so. has a like kind of love theme and a yeah. heartache motif in there. Yeah. So that's number one. What was number two? Oh. Um, <laughs> she paused. It, Deep well, pause. Well, it's a Taylor Swift song, um, but it, it's one <laughs> that has the swear word. Oh, Vigilante. The, mm-hmm, the Vigilante yeah. song. Yes. The Vigilante got song. Got it, got it, got it. Um, you know. Again, angry, yeah. angry song. But I mean, everybody <laughs> listening who has, you know, listened to Spotify this year, Taylor Swift's going to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Shouldn't be a surprise. And again, if it's, I mean, I probably only listened to that song maybe 10 times. Yeah, maybe. So anyways, um, yeah. And then I just have a lot of, I have a lot of one hit wonders in one giant playlist that just, I hit shuffle. Mm-hmm. So when I find a song, yeah. I'm like, oh, I kind of like that song. I add it to the playlist. And then the problem is I haven't actually gone back through and uh, refined the playlist that much. But Oh, so it could be years old. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I feel like people... I have like thousands of songs on one playlist. Yeah, people with Spotify rap especially, I think it always exposes something really funny. And it's that we don't listen to as much music as we think. And then we don't listen to as diverse music as we think because our habits are usually the same. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So very fascinating. That's that's great. Well, thank what about you. you. What about you? Oh, what about me? That's a good point. I should pull You're mine up. You're making exposing us. Uh, my number one artist was the National. I'm in the top 0.05 percent of National listeners. The band, the National, not National like anthem listeners. Uh, I like the band that that band a lot. Uh, then number two is a gal named Samia, Boy Genius, Taylor Swift, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, and Taylor Swift. So my, I, I was in a group chat this morning. We were all throwing our rap out there, and I said, "Tell me you're a 31 year old white guy without telling me you're a 31 year old white guy." The National and Phoebe Bridgers being the reason that is. Uh, and then my number one song is by Samia, "Charm You." I listened to it how many times? 142 times, which feels low. I listen to that song all the time. And then it's a lot of times. Yeah, and then it was just kind of some some random ones. Uh, by one song by a guy named Petey, a gal named Ethel Kane, a national song, Ryan Beatty song. So I always get surprised. I'm always like, man, I thought other songs were gonna make it in there, but they weren't. 
Uh, listeners of the podcast will know I'm very shocked Bruce Springsteen didn't make my top five. I did listen to a lot of Bruce Springsteen this year, as I talked about in the Thanksgiving episode. But we are on to Christmas. We're not talking about Thanksgiving anymore. And like <laughs> you've heard, Rochelle is here. Hello, Rochelle. I'm Hello. here with Michael as well. We are talking about another Christmas hymn, and it is Silent Night. And Michael, last week we talked about Away in a Manger, which is a bona fide lullaby. But we brought Rochelle on for Silent Night because this, and this was kind of your wisdom, this turns into a song that is often associated with children. It is a song that children often sing at church. And my question for both of you is, why do you think that is? Why do you think this song is one that we so closely associate with children, especially in church? Well, children should just sit quiet and listen in church. Nice. Oh my gosh. Finally. <laughs> finally somebody said no. it. Mike children are the uh, the greatest offenders of this. <laughs> <laughs> um you know what's funny is that this song is not a children's song, but it is it's ch- a children's song. Yeah. It is nice. The kids own it. Yeah. Whether it was meant initially to be that way or not, um I think a lot of that just has to do with um I don't know, just the innocence of it. And oh, interesting. Also, kids sing. Maybe I'm not here. I don't know anything about music that much. Um, so imagine me trying to um, actually help the kids sing songs. It's it's really unfortunate for everyone. But um, I think the song is sung at a higher key, right, it, Michael? Like, cause kids have higher voice. Yeah, I mean, like it can their be, little voices it can, go up. It higher. can be sung in in like a children's friendly key. It's often sung. Children in friendly key. Children I love that. Key. Yeah, I don't know. In my head, when I think Silent Night, in my head, little kids are singing it. <laughs> it's not. I agree, and that's why I, I think why we are like yeah. doing it this way because it turns into a, a kid song, like I said. But it wasn't always a kid song. Michael, in your experience at church, have you had to like lead kids choirs and stuff? Um. Yeah, yeah. I have. Every, and is this song part of the kids' year. choir? Um. Yes. This year this it is. is this this year <laughs> and every, every year, year after and before. And thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll see you next year see and every and, year. <laughs> yeah. So it's um. Yeah. I this song. Uh, I think there's something like really, um, kind of on the nose about it. It's it's about a the birth of a child. Oh and yeah. So. I think there's just it's it's kind of glorifying this moment um uh and saying hey like there's something beautiful when a child is born especially mm. when it's the savior of the world. Yeah, this is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty big childbirth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if he was a particularly big baby. No one <laughs> no one knows when I say it's a particular <laughs> childbirth, <laughs> particularly big one. Yeah. Do you think Jesus was a big baby? I think that he was probably the chubbiest, cutest little baby that ever existed. Well, when we think about last week's song, Way in a Manger, the heresy involved is that he was just an illusion of a baby. And he so was, maybe he was an illusion of a cute baby. He not was a, a real big baby. baby who didn't cry. That's what we think according, in our mm-hmm. theology. Apparently. According to the anonymous author of that song. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I like what Rochelle said about the innocence. And I, I would agree. I think the song has like a really interesting air of innocence with it which is funny because this song was written in response to a war <laughs> or a series of wars the napoleonic mm. wars that happened in france in the uh in the early 19th century this guy joseph moore writes these words as a reflection of that and i don't know if you guys got a chance to look at the history of the song it's really fascinating it's really a really fascinating. funny story where you know it's basically a guy who has to turn in a project and he doesn't have 
the work to back up the project. So he, this guy, Joseph Moore, who is a priest in Austria, he has these lyrics to a song he wants to sing at Christmas Eve mass, but he doesn't have uh, music to it. He doesn't have a melody. So he goes to his friend. His friend's name is Franz Xaver Gruber. Try to do my best German <laughs> accent there. Great. And uh, Franz basically is like, yeah, let's put something together. And what I found was interesting, Michael, maybe you can help me out on this. This is, I think, our first hymn we've had on the Christmas podcast that doesn't, it wasn't made for piano. It was made for guitar. Mm. That is is probably very likely. Isn't yeah. that interesting? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I haven't looked at the other songs recently, but um, that's really interesting because I think generally speaking um hymns are thought of guitar is actually thought of as as a uh kind of a no-no in in hymnology interesting what's well, also a particularly new instrument whereas like an organ or a piano isn't and the reason that this was composed for the guitar is because the organ at the church was under construction because <laughs> the church had flooded and ironically this church flooded so badly later on in the 19th century that or the 20th century that they just got rid of it and they rebuilt it later and now it's called the silent night cathedral uh so this this silent night of this area of the world is very popular so popular that it is banned you cannot play this song in austria before christmas eve that's crazy interesting isn't that crazy are there any christmas songs that you guys know of religious or otherwise that you're like i don't want to hear that song before christmas eve not because it's like so special because this is so sacred but it's like just because it's annoying oh like that's me when i hear that when i read that (laughs) that you can't i was like is it because it's annoying i was like oh no okay so mary did you know oh here we go okay let me tell you here we go i thought that that was a joke <laughs> I can't wait for the gauntlet episode where we, like I said, everybody's going to come on and we're just going to yell that. about Mary. Did you know? Oh my That'll God. be the last episode of the podcast ever. That's not even the last <laughs> Christmas podcast. That's just we the do. last, yeah, right. last I know, one ever. I'm probably not the first person to say that, but no, no. But it's it is a it is a song that I think a lot of people want to erase from the lexicon of Christian music in general. Yeah, I just I genuinely was like, this is a joke. <laughs> this song, this song, it's an not SNL real. song. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a. <laughs> A pa- what parody? Yeah, it's song. like a parody. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and Michael. Then, and then I found out it was real. Yeah, was no, like, it's hundred percent real. I just love that you said that, Michael. Do you agree that you want to ban Mary? Did you know oh, you can only I listen would... to it one day a year, and it's Christmas Eve. That's no, no. It. I, that's the thing, though. Like, it's one of. The, I don't ever want to hear that. Song. <laughs> not it. Not a. I don't. Once. It's not. There's not. If it's Christmas Eve, I don't care to listen to that song. Apologies to anybody who really loves. That oh, song. there's people. My my mother in law. Mm-hmm. We were talking oh. about it over over Thanksgiving. She was like. I love that song. Oh, no. It just holds such a sweet place in my heart. Michael, like, I, I just had this vision at Thanksgiving where everybody sits around the table and then you play The Awake Project and then you play our oh podcast. No, no. Just because it's so popular to you. you just It's always high on your <sighs> list. <laughs> this podcast was my top listen to podcast. Wow, thank you. Always nice to meet a fan. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I, I really wish we could band All I Want for Christmas is You. Just because it's everywhere. It's so everywhere where it's like, if you listen to it all the time, it's not special. But if you only listen to it on Christmas Eve, like if America came out and said, this is our silent night, like this is our version of silent night where we can only listen to this song disagree. one day a year, I would be happy about that. It just, I, even like November 1st, she posts a video, Mariah Carey posts a video of her like making it Christmas and it's, it's like, a, come on. I think it's a good kickoff Christmas song. Okay. You can only listen to it on uh, Black Friday then. Yeah. Like and then it's, it's done. Okay. You know, I don't agree, but I do. That's my thought. 
I, d- I can respect your opinion. Thank you. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate the respect. But back to guitars. This is the only one we have that was written for a guitar. And then basically what ended up happening was the guy who fixes the organ in this church, hears it, loves it, writes it for piano, and then sends it off to a bunch of different folk singing families. And then it becomes a very popular song. The King of Prussia really liked this song in the, in the turn of the century. Uh, it was performed in New York in 1833, which I found really interesting because, or I guess 1839. But it's, I found that interesting. You know, the song was written in 1818. So 21 years later, this is before Planes. This is obviously yeah. before Spotify. Like, the song makes it across the globe to America, and then it becomes a huge song. Uh, it was translated that same year. A little bit, actually, a little bit later, by a uh, Episcopal priest from New York. He liked the song so much, and he wanted to put it in English. And there you go. That's the story of Silent Night. And they wrote it on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Again, he he well, he had the lyrics early. He had it like two years prior, but he didn't have music for it, and he needed it for Christmas Eve Mass. So the song came together on Christmas Eve of 1818 and uh the the guy who composed it like i said franz gruber he which i thought was the name of one of the guys in the snl sketch hans and franz i don't know if his last name is canonically gruber <laughs> oh but it could gosh. be uh he went to franz gruber and he was like yo i need some music they write it and, and this gruber guy had a really interesting story he was married twice uh he has lost a bunch of children like his whole life is kind of marked by loss and pain and he writes this really beautiful rochelle i love that language innocent melody for these lyrics and then bada bing, bada boom, we have it. It is one of the most popular hymns we have. And so I want to ask you guys your personal stories with this song. Where, where does this fit in your own personal Christmas lexicon? Is this, a, is this a song that gets played a lot for you guys? Or is this a song that is relegated to church? Or is it somewhere in the middle? This song for me is interesting because um, this song evokes so much emotion in me. Um, I think, and even when we think about how it, is played out in in movies or in other places in culture. Mm-hmm. It's always the the peak moment. Ah. It always comes in at the time when like everyone's coming together after some big like everything was in shambles, but now we're coming together to sing and be quiet and still and have this very innocent moment together mm. that's peaceful and calm and um and I think whenever that song is actually played, like, in church for me, it just feels like it kind of brings a sense of, of um, like, tranquility almost, yeah. like, about everything. Um, it's like a climactic tranquility. Yeah, and That's also cool. I think, too, like, when I was reading through your notes, Hunter, were great. Um, just ta- look, thinking about Gruber's life, and I think Gruber having lost children lost a spouse yeah out of his 12 children eight of them died yeah like people who are acquainted with grief appreciate life in a very different way Mm. i think they are able to see things and have just a special um like gratitude towards the littlest like the miracle that life is and so I think for me when I think about the composition of the song the song captures that feeling of going into a newborn baby's Mm. room at night to go and check on them to make sure that they're okay and like I imagine Mm. like a parent walking in and being like okay are they breathing are Mm. they alive and you see them sound asleep and you see that they're safe and you have this immediate sigh of relief and then immediately you have the sense of awe 
Hmm. when you look at them as they're sleeping and the sense of, oh my gosh, they're so perfect. How are they so perfect? And I think that that song captures that, that feeling, that essence. And then you stop and think about how that actually gets translated to the savior of the world. Top that, Michael. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll just give you my thoughts, but they're, they won't top that. Um, <laughs> that was really great. Um, yeah, that was really great. Um, I, I, so I think this song, um, interestingly enough, I enjoy about a billion times more than Away in a Manger. Like, I feel very strongly like I like this song. Mm-hmm. Whereas Away in a Manger, I don't, I wouldn't say I like dislike that song. Like, it's not like I hate that song. Right. I'm just not. I'm just like meh towards it. Like if you're making a Christmas set at church, Away in a Manger, there's 54 songs you'd pick before this one. It's not going in there. Yeah. Um, Now, again, it's one I would use with my kids. It's like a lullaby, but this one I I actually, I actively enjoy. This song probably was the first song I ever performed. Like of all the songs, this is probably the the one that I sang on a stage first. Um, And I think... Probably because it was like one of those, it was that first song. It was the one that I first kind of was introduced to. It is something that feels like it's part of my story. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I don't know that, that I think just is my personal, when you ask like, what's my personal. Was that as a kid? Yeah. I think I was probably in elementary school and whether it was, I don't remember where it was. It was either at, at elementary school or, or, um, at church, one or the other, uh, I performed it. But I do remember like, doing the hand motions as a little kid on stage. So I don't know the hand do motions. Do you remember the hand motions? No. Could you teach them to me? No. I don't even know. <laughs> you know what? I should. Yeah, let's let's see if we can figure we're, that out. We're doing Silent Night with yeah, the children. That's a spoiler. So I'm going to need some hand motions from Michael. So there's a special <laughs> innocence that you have with this song as well, that it, it was part of your upbringing. Yeah, yeah. I also like so as a kid, I would listen to songs when I went to sleep. Um, every night, I had a song playing all night long. So I would dream in songs. Like it's wow. Actually, I remember like like words that were in the songs making it into my dreams. Um, but you know, I'd put on a, a cassette tape every night and I'd listen to songs. And I remember having a Christmas like a Mickey and Goofy and yeah. Donald Christmas tape that had this song on there. And so, um, this song, you know, it's, it's actually kind of meta, like it's talking about sleep in heavenly peace and here I am sleeping and listening to this song. So it just feels very ingrained in my psyche and in my life and a part of being a child. I love, I love to hear you guys both say the children aspect of it. I think for me, that's exactly the same. I think I listened to it probably as a kid. I probably had the same Mickey tape, but I think about my experience as a freshman in college when I was in choir at Point Loma, and we do this big celebration at the end of the calendar year called the Cider Celebration. They do this every year. They still do it. And Silent Night's a really big part of the um, performance, but it's a medley with Silent Night and Oh Holy Night. And Love so it. for me, I can't not hear Oh Holy Night. Because you know when you perform <laughs> something, it's like you listen to it a bunch, and it's like in your brain in a different way. And so every time I hear this song, I'm like, oh, it's going to be Night divide. Like it always goes into that. So I, I was, when I was listening to different versions of this song this morning, I was like, oh man, none of these songs have the other part to it. And I was like, oh wait, no, there is no other part to it. That was a, that was a Point Loma Nazarene classic. 
I'm curious if if one song is derivative of the other. We would be the ones who know that. We, sh- we should have probably <laughs> looked into that before this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, Jesus was born at night, so I think that that's just like how it's derivative, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the big, chubby, cute Jesus I mean, was born at night. They both kind of have that dun 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 like that kind of like cadence to it. Remind me, was Oh Holy Night American? Oh. <sighs> Because then I don't understand. I wouldn't be able to connect the DNA. I there. don't know. What I remember about Oh Holy Night is that it's like a, a, an opera. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And that um, was that was why we had Rachel on. But uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we're not talking about Oh Holy Night. We're talking yeah. about Silent Night. It's, <laughs> there's a Holy Night and there's a Silent Night. And this is the Silent One. So the version we're going to listen to today. Uh, and after we're done, I'm actually going to play other versions for you guys. So you guys can kind of react to the ones that I was going to choose. And you can hear why I maybe didn't choose them but we're gonna listen to the phil welcome version uh this to me the way i would describe it is vibe so um i would I, we're gonna play it and then we'll uh we'll all talk about it so here is silent night by mr phil wickham who is coincidentally in michael's was he your number one or number two his multiple tops well his number one artist or number two artist no 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 not even in i, I think he's my number two artist he's number two artist so in your song here's us giving phil wickham another stream Silent 
of the vibiest of the vibes, I think that there are two very different reactions on the couch. One is wearing green, one is wearing red. Very Michael, Rochelle, what is the verdict on Phil Wickham's version of Silent Night from do you 2011? Want, do you want the good news first or the bad news? Like which, which do you one have do we both? start with? Do you have good news or bad news? I'm the bad news. <laughs> I did not like it. Oh, Rochelle did not like it. I feel it. like it's too upbeat. Too upbeat. Okay, interesting. This is not supposed to be an upbeat song. And I think Michael's reflection, I don't mean to speak for you, but was like, you liked it because of that reason, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what I felt was, like, if this was the always played version of this song, like, if this was the only way you were ever going to hear it forever, I'm not, I would not be down. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it parts too far away from... Oh, yeah. From, you know, what I love. But as like an alternative, like, oh, look at how creative, how thoughtful, how cool, how hip of a way to interpret this song. I'm like, ah, oh, it's pretty cool. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't miss the sameness of it, right? You didn't miss the orchestral big version. No. That's what I appreciate about this version as well. I was like, man, I, I've heard the, da, 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 like the melody all the time. And it's just like to have a little bit of a swing, a little bit of a slide guitar. It's it just, feels good. It feels it's, nice. It's like musically. I mean, obviously Phil Wickham's voice is always Phil Wickham, but like musically it felt like, um, it felt like not Phil Wickham. Like it felt like Americana, like, like even a little bit of like seventies rock. Yeah. Like it just did not feel like a worship song. That was your, that was your feedback as well. Like this doesn't sound like Phil Wickham. Yeah. It feels different. Speaking of different versions of this song, I'm, I'm glad you hated it, Rochelle. I'm glad you loved it, Michael, <laughs> because I want to play one other version of the song that I was thinking about playing. So do you guys know this like Christmas compilation that comes out? I don't know if it comes out every year anymore. A very special Christmas. Like maybe you've seen the cover. It's a Keith Haring. Never. Okay, so never. It's a Keith Haring painting. Uh, for those of you you know, podcast as an audio medium. I will describe the photo. Maybe you've seen it. It's of like a Keith Haring, very distinct artist. It's like a person holding a baby and like the person is gold and the background is green or depending on what year it is, it's different. It's a compilation. They, I know they came out in the nineties and the eighties and this version's from 1992. It has Tom Petty, Randy Travis, Luther Vandross, Frank Sinatra and Cindy Lauper on a duet. Boys to men, Bon Jovi, oh Aretha a Franklin, lineup. Michael Bolton, run DMC, extreme, uh, Bonnie Ray, Debbie Gibson, Wilson Phillips, Sinead O'Connor. But so I'm going to play you the Wilson Phillips version of Silent Night for a little bit, and then I'll skip ahead to the part that I wanted you guys to think about. Like, I want you guys to think about this as the version we could have played. Um, and Rochelle, to your point of like it doesn't capture the essence of the song. All right, I'm glad you said that. Here we go. So you're kind of vibing a little bit, a little bit. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to where I think it really comes alive. If I can figure out how to use it. I know, right? <laughs> Pretty good. 
So 80s. 92. So 90s. The year of our Lord. But I think I, I wanted to play that version because I wanted to illustrate how people, ha- I think, are sick of the sameness of this song. And they want to change it up a little bit to some positive effect and some negative effect. So let me ask you guys this. Why do you think that people, when they feel uncomfortable with a melody of a song, they feel like it's within their creative rights to change it? People are getting too creative. I don't like it. Don't like it. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Rochelle thinks people are getting too creative. But why do you think that is? Like, feel like, um, you know, Wilson Phillips, they just take it upon themselves to recreate a song that we all know and love. I don't know. I mean, I just think, like, I'm probably, because I am a creative, and because I, every year I have to play these same songs. Right. Like I am bored of Christmas songs. I know that's like uh, we. I that's like a terrible thing. We to do say have right some now. conversations where I go, Michael, it's Christmas. I Just know. play the songs. No, this is the way it goes. <laughs> I'm always like, guys, I'm feeling real. What like, if we do a mashup? I don't want to the- do it the same way. And Rochelle's always like, Michael, you have to play these songs every year. No one else has to play them every year. Like it's, uh, yeah. So I think it's just that creative bug, that thing of like. Man, I don't want to just do the same thing I did last year. Doesn't doesn't that seem lazy? Doesn't that seem a little like not creative? <laughs> so, I don't know. I think that's probably what it is. It's the push to like but it's also a little I don't know, it's probably a little arrogant. Like, hey, I want to put my take on I'm this. I'm glad know? you said that because I didn't want to say that. Wow. Rochelle thinks you're arrogant. <laughs> I, no, and no, you're no, too no, 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 no. I don't think Michael's arrogant at all. I think I think sometimes, especially with art like the bit bigger artists, Everyone wants to be the person who comes out with the version, the, the version. Right. Um, obviously, we have the classic version, but but you have songs that people have put out a Christmas album and those artists are just hoping mm-hmm. that their version of it is going to beat out some other famous person's version. Right. Um, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about the music industry and they said a Christmas album is usually somebody's last effort to remain relevant or their first step back into relevancy. It's sometimes the last thing an artist will do or the next thing for their second wave of their career. Because if you do it at the right time. And it, I think Mariah Carey is the perfect example. Yeah. I, Mariah Carey, obviously huge artist, but as much as I like some of those Mariah Carey songs like Heartbreaker and things, I, which I love that song, I think it's, you know, we're, the reason that I'm still thinking about Heartbreaker is because All I Want for Christmas Is You is in the zeitgeist, right? Like, it's something that I still think about. Kelly Clarkson has a great Christmas album, great Christmas songs on that album. Would she have a talk show without it? I don't know. I'm not going to say that. You got, you got the Bieber, I'm not gonna you say got the Bieber Christmas one. What is that one called? Mistletoe? Yes. Oh, shouty. Santa shouty. <laughs> See, that's that's really where... I, that's, I guess that's really what I'm talking about. Uh, like, when you have a Bieber come out, and he does like a little drummer boy with like Ludacris, I think. And it's like, my like, guy, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you <laughs> broke it even more. So, Rochelle, do you think Phil Wickham broke Silent Night? I don't... You can't break Silent Night. <laughs> you don't think he I broke think, it? I think that it was a nice attempt. Good, Good effort. Good effort. I don't like the song itself sounds cool. I just guess. not your vibe. I just think if I had to choose, I want, I want the OG. I want the original. The OG. Okay. Michael, would you, how would you respond to that? You, you get this song all set and you do the Phil Wickham version on Sunday and someone comes up to you and says, I want the OG. 
I would say we've done the OG every year. Nice. That's and good. every year after that. Hey, so, thanks for listening. So this so this year, uh, we He said we're we'll gonna remix it. it we'll and do you're it a little like different. It. And, yeah, we'll do it a little different. You're gonna and like here's it. Here's the pill. Take it. Okay. That's not wow, about, I don't go to that church. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> speaking speaking of church, let's talk about some of the uh. theological merits or theological things behind this song i was looking in the website that i used to look a lot of these hymns up in the theology of these hymns it only really cites luke 2 which is the first time i've seen that where it only cites one verse or one passage for a christmas song and so i want to ask you guys do you want your christmas songs your religious ones to be uber theological or is it okay if for you if it just takes a point or an idea from one verse and makes it a whole song Oh my gosh. I mean, I think if you, I don't know, the Bible's the Bible. If you take one verse or a couple of verses and make a song out of it, I'm not going to knock you for not using the entirety of... The whole canon of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> There's I, not enough Leviticus in your Christmas music, guys. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be critical about that at all. So you don't think it's lacking in any kind of theological depth? No, you can't fit everything that there is to know in one song. Right. Like in lyrics of a song. Like I it's agree. Just, I completely agree. It and seems I think, like an unrealistic expectation to set. I think you want to make sure that nothing blatantly heretical obviously. is popping up in lyrics, but like like away in a manger. <laughs> but, I think I think Rochelle, you're right. And I, I when you said that, I immediately thought to myself, I would rather have a song nail one point than breeze up across 42 points yes right like i want this song to contain the whole corpus of christian knowledge about the birth of christ versus like oh he was born at night let's talk about that let's talk about that and even like the line dawn of redeeming grace is that's a beautiful line and i think that's probably the most overtly theological part of the song or the song that we the version we sing of it that's probably the most overtly theological line and i don't think that's in luke too so so uh, Gruber and my boy Moore had had a little bit more in the tank than just Luke too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the I feel similarly about this as I do about the whole canon of church songs, which is, I think there's room to have both. In fact, I think a balanced like diet of church songs includes both songs that are theologically deep and engage your brain and then other songs that are emotionally stirring and engage your heart. And I think yeah. both need to be present in your diet. And I think that's true for Christmas songs and that's true for other worship songs. So you don't mind? No, I don't mind. In fact, I would say that I almost wonder if this song sets for many of us the picture that we have in our brains of what it was like um, you know, to be there in the manger. Mm -hmm. Um, if like we get a word picture in our brain, um, through this through this song, like this is this is kind of what sets our picture of what we think of when we think of that moment, which may actually be incorrect. <laughs> yeah, like it may actually not have been in like a barn somewhere. You know, like that may actually not be what it. That's what we think of, and I, that may not be what was real. But all that to say, just this serene moment where Jesus is being born and all is calm, you know, that that is, it's kind of starting us off on this 
wow, this was a really precious and, and special and important moment for the world. And when I, when I think about what you said and paired with what Rochelle said about like, you don't want it to be overtly heretical. How often have we let songs like this that are just so popular invade our imagination to where we think this is exactly what it was like and not to nitpick at all. Cause I don't want to be that guy, the, the crotchety church person, but like silent night, if he was born in a, trough with a bunch of animals around it probably was wasn't it? very quiet right no. like this night was probably not silent so even there okay is it heretical no it's an imaginative thing but are we letting the imagination go above what actually happened i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that because that's not like a saving doctrine of church right like it's not like well if you believe that the day jesus was born it was quiet you're you're not going to heaven that's right. obviously not what's going to happen. But I think we do let so many of these things infiltrate our imagination to where we're like, oh, it was such a peaceful night of his birth and yada, yada, yada. But if you read the text, maybe it doesn't actually say that. And that's where you lead people astray. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's that. I, I agree with that. But I also think like any, any preacher will tell you that a sermon that is about all things is about nothing. I completely and love so that with if all you my are, soul. Yeah. Like if you're going to teach on the peace of Christ, then you have a song that's talking about the peace that Christ brings as a, when he comes to earth. Like this song delivers that. It's it is in a meta way, right? Like yeah. it's it is it is a peaceful song talking about peace. Um mm. and and so it's uh, to me it's like yeah, it's, it may not be talking about all the aspects of what it means for the incarnation, right? Like right. we may not, we may not be seeing all the aspects, but we're seeing one, which is when Christ came, he came to bring peace. Yeah. That, and that's what the, that's what the Jews were hoping for. They wanted peace. And so it's, I, I think it, it hits that note really well and it, and rightfully so as written by man and not by God, it doesn't, it, it falls short on other aspects. Yeah. So, yeah, and I just think that is what it is. And I think kind of ending, the ending point of it, it's like these guys really only wrote this song together. You know, yeah. so talk about lacking. They even feel like they said everything they needed to say together. Like they, the words and the music, that was it. Like they weren't like, we should keep, there wasn't like a Simon and Garfunkel thing or like yeah. a Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff thing. They're like, we did it. That's great. See you guys later. It was a phone in call, help, help call from a friend. Yeah, he really. that was. That was it. That was it. Yeah. And so he said what he needed to say. And I think that's a great word of like, you know, God has said what he needed to say through Christ and through his word. And sometimes in Christmas, we are trying to grasp for straws with tradition and with meaning and with expectations, especially. But sometimes you just got to let it be what it is. And like, I think if Silent Night can remind us of that, that's that's pretty cool. And I think that's beyond what these guys even thought it was going to be. Again, like, I like the idea that it was his homework assignment. He's like, I forgot to put music to my song. Ah! <laughs> and he called his friend. He's like, yeah, I got you. Here's a guitar. Let's let's rip and rip this beautiful song. <laughs> so let me ask you guys this. Do we keep, are we keeping Silent Night? Does, does it remain in the church Christmas hymnal? I mean, it better because we're doing it. <laughs> On Christmas Eve is that our, with the kids. Is that our finale? Yes. Is that our finale? Oh no, I think it for sure it for stays. sure it, it's staying for long after I'm gone. I mean it's yeah. this yeah. song is, it has. is it, gonna live. Since before you were there and since after you were there. Yeah. I mean most of these I think every song we've we've done for these, these Except Christmas time. Away in a manger. We think we, we both canceled that one. I would be okay with that one not I mean <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't be. I don't know. I've. It's just. It's at the bottom of the barrel, but it's still in the barrel. But you guys are talking about it a lot. Yeah. So. Well, because it's it's top of mind. <laughs> a and B. I think after I recorded it, 
after we recorded the episode, I went around to people in the office and I was like, oh, we just did a way in a manger for the Christmas podcast. What do you guys think of that song? And Nikki's like, it's sweet, right? And Garrick's like, I remember singing that to my children. And I was like, gosh, we we, we kind of tore it up. We eviscerated that song. Yeah. So Ooh. apologies to everybody. It's, I mean, it's really interesting. It had it had some of them. It was the like best investigative, like, let's go into this. And, yeah. Of any song that we. Whereas like Silent Night, this is so important to this area of Germany, like that they have the cathedral and they have a museum, a Silent Night Museum. There is an actual German film based on the writing of this song. This song is so popular in Germany that they didn't know who wrote it for a long time. They didn't find the manuscript until 1995. But before that, people were like, oh, Mozart must have written this. Beethoven must have written this because it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful and majestic. But it was just these two dudes who uh, one called in a favor because his homework assignment was going to be late. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny the way that these songs happen and then they just become so beautiful. So anyway, that's Silent Night. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, yeah. Rochelle, I want to ask, what are your Christmas plans this year? What do you got going on? Oh, um, I am flying up to Washington. Nice. So that'll be that'll be good. I'll um I'll be up there with my family. I um usually do every other year. So last cool. year I was here oh, nice. for Christmas. Um, so it'll be good. Yeah. My uh, great grandfather is still alive. He's ninety seven. Oh. Wow. Um. So I am just so thankful for like every. Every time, another Christmas. I so. love that. And ask cool. him the first time he heard Silent Night and then report you back. You know what? I will. I, will I would ask like him. to hear that. And he's like, it was a new He probably York. has a whole story to go with it or something. Like, I, I know. knew Gruber. I knew that guy. He <laughs> was a lazy yeah. bone Jones. He didn't get his homework assignment in. Yeah. Anyway, thanks guys for jumping on Silent yeah. Night. What a what a bona fide classic. Uh, and if what you're a gonna, time. If you're going to listen to one this year, maybe it's the Wilson Phillips version. Hey, come to Christmas Eve. You'll get to hear the children's version. The, our children's version. Our what children. A, what a great plug. That was yeah. a great. That was a great ending. Don't listen to Wilson Phillips. Listen to our kids. Yep. Thanks guys. We'll see you next weekend. Every single Christmas night that's silent after that. <laughs>